All right, just a quick question. Uh, I like to ask this every once in a while. It just kind of lets me know where we're at as a, as a church. So there's going to be a question, two options. Uh, the options are cats or dogs, all right? So who says cats, favorite, favorite animal, cats? Wow, hold on. Uh, cats, that's interesting. Cats are on this side. There are no cat people. I've been sitting on the right side this whole time. So uh, dog people? All right, all right. Uh, place to belong, even if you're a cat fan, it's okay, uh, you, can, you can be here. Uh, well, I have a dog named Norman, and you have heard me talk about Norman. Norman is a great dog. Um, if you've been around here, you know uh, I've had a few stories about uh, Norman, but he really is great. He is. Uh, he is a gentle dog. He loves kids. Uh, he will greet you when you come to the door. Yeah, how could you not love that look, right? I mean, Man, I wish he was still that size, but that's okay. Uh, he's got his OU tag, you know, that's all that matters. But very quick, we learned something about Norman, and Norman was a little mischievous. It wasn't long when we uh, saw dolls with heads torn off. Uh, this, I think, was the first picture he had marshmallows. That was the first time I can remember him getting into to food. The next one, he would like to knock over trash cans, get into flour, and spread that around the house. Some of you have seen these pictures. The next one... Uh, chocolate chip uh, muffins. He left a few for us. Uh, piles of granola wrappers. Um, this is his reputation, right? You, you have learned this. So this is one of the more recent ones that I have not shared with you. Uh, Norman accidentally locked himself in Cade's bedroom uh, while we were gone. And uh, I think he freaked out a little bit and destroyed the blinds. Look at that face, right? That is guilt all, all over that. Um, now, the most recent thing is uh, he has learned to open our pantry, and uh, yeah, it's not good. Um, we've come home several times. He's probably had a dozen bagels now, candy. We don't know what he's eaten because he just eats all of it, um, so we'll be baby-proofing. We're not expecting a baby, but we'll be baby-proofing our, uh, our house, but Norman has a reputation. So as I tell you that he is a good dog, uh, that's hard for many of you to believe. Uh, one of my good friends says he's not a bad dog. Uh, he just had has a bad owner, and that's probably, uh, that's probably, uh, that's probably true, that's probably true, um, and so, but here, here's the deal, uh, he has this reputation, and I can tell you a lot about Norman, uh, I, I can tell you uh, all the good things, but if you've been around here, and even just me sharing over the last few minutes, uh, you can see that, that maybe he's not the greatest, and he carries this reputation, and so it's hard to change your reputation, isn't it? It's hard to change what people think about you, what people believe about you. And so we see this to be true uh, with followers of Jesus as well, with Christians. Uh, we see that the perception of Christians is the reality for people. And so whether it's true or not, their reality is their reality. And so there's this feeling of those who confess to follow Jesus. And, and here's what's hard is it's not everyone, right? The perception that people may have about followers of Jesus uh, often is true, but it, but it doesn't encompass everyone who follows Jesus. And so for, for us, we have to begin to push back against that. Uh, we have to do our part to, to change the perception and the reputation of followers of Jesus. And so we, we know that people think that Christians are hypocritical or anti, just fill in the blank, um, judgmental. Um, this is what's often interesting to me is I think about the life of Jesus uh, Jesus was the most holy, most perfect person uh, to ever live, but he was also the least judgmental person the world has ever seen. And somehow that 
that's not always the belief of followers of Jesus. And so we, we have to figure that out. We have our work cut out for us to change the perception of a lot of people and what they think about followers of Jesus. And this is the problem, and we know this. We know this. Uh, most people don't have a problem or an issue with Jesus. That The problem is that, that followers of Jesus and Jesus don't always line up very well. They don't, they don't look like each other. And so we're in this series called Invisible, and it's bringing God's kingdom um, to light. And it's trying to figure out that which is invisible, the kingdom of God, uh, how do we make it visible to the people around us? That which is unable to really be felt, how do we make it tangible to people around us? So p- please understand, uh, we're in this together. This isn't a, a beat-up followers of Jesus series I'm a follower of Jesus, and so the hope is that we can figure this out together, that as we know the call for Christians, I know not everyone in here probably would say they're a follower of Jesus, and so the hope is through this series that you'll get a good picture of what Jesus is asking us to do, uh, that you'll feel loved, that you'll have a better, clearer picture of maybe who God is, and that you would understand we're, we're trying uh, but, but here's what we're trying to do. God has this call on us that we would go and make disciples. The last thing that Jesus tells his disciples uh, in Matthew is for you to go. He is sending his people to make disciples. And so these two words, discipleship and evangelism, how do we expose the kingdom of heaven to people? How do we communicate about the kingdom of heaven? And then how do we walk with people if they, as they begin to learn uh, what it's like to follow Jesus? How, how do we do those things? I think we want to, but we don't always know how. And so we're trying to figure this out together. There's a pastor, writer, he now uh, owns and runs a coffee shop in Alton. His name's Hugh Halter. A lot of what I'm teaching and what I've learned over the last couple years comes from him, and so just want to say that up front. If you want to read some of his stuff, it's really helpful. But the week uh, we started, we talked about incarnation, how God takes on flesh, and Eugene Peterson in the message says he moves into the neighborhood. Uh, It says he made his dwelling among his people. God was no longer out there, but he was here. He was near people. He was neighbors to someone. And the reason that God does this is because people matter. We looked at this. You matter. Your neighbors matter. The people you disagree with or you don't like, they matter. And if they matter, it should change how we live our lives. And so we have to see that right from the beginning. And if we can get that, if we can wrap our hearts and our minds around this idea that every person matters, there's no point B to that. It's, it's simple. Everyone is created in the image of God and everyone matters. And if that is true, then that begins to lead us to having a good reputation because the way we see people and talk about people and treat people will be changed by that fact. And so then this idea of incarnation leads to a good reputation. We started this last week and it was so important. I wanted to spend two weeks on it. Uh, if you weren't here last week or if you were, let me just remind you. We talked about this idea that Jesus had a hype man. He had a guy who came before him and was pointing to him. Uh, It was a guy named John, and John was a little out there. He wore weird clothes, and he had a weird diet, and people knew about John, but people were going to John. He was teaching in a way that people wanted to come and hear him, but, but John's life was about pointing people to Jesus. It wasn't about drawing people to himself. His life was defined as the one who would prepare the way who would point to him. He would say things like, I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals of the one who is coming. He said that he must become 
greater. God must become greater in his life, and he must become less. This was John's life. John was saying, don't look at me. Uh, look to Jesus. And so for us, as we begin to really pay attention to the reputation that, that we have and the reputation Christians have, we have to have this idea that we live lives that point to Jesus, or we have an opportunity to, and that is our hope. Uh, we talked about how he was present with people. Uh, Jesus had a lot to accomplish, yet he was able to stop and to slow down and to really see people and hear people. He wasn't rushed through it. So we looked at the lady who was healed and not just healed, but made whole. He was healed, she was healed as she touches Jesus, but Jesus stops and he sees her and she is made whole. And so he is able to be fully present with people. And, and I'm not sure we're always really good at that. And I shared that I'm not always good with being present with people. And then we talked about how he was a friend of sinners. It wasn't he had some acquaintances or he kind of went to the same places where those people went. It was his life was defined as being a friend of those people. He spent time with them. He had meals with them. I really think this was his main reputation. Uh, this is what often made the religious leaders so upset and angry. And so we also have to ask that hard question of ourselves. Do we see them as those people who maybe we might every once in a while rub shoulders with? Or are we really friends with people who are different than us? And so I ended the, the message last week and just simply asked, is your life, uh, is your reputation helping or hurting the reputation of Jesus? Uh, to be honest, uh, as I was thinking about that question, um, as far as I know, I really think you guys are helping the reputation of Jesus. And I'm not just saying that. I, I, I know what a lot of you do. You are living in a way that is a beautiful representation of who Jesus is. I'm just going to list some of these things that I know. I don't even know everything that you do, but Bible studies at a juvenile detention center called Missouri Hills. You're meeting the needs of the homeless. You're helping elderly who live around you. You're being kind to the kids on your street. I think that is an important thing. Uh, you're grieving with those who are grieving. You're making meals for those who just need a little bit of help in the situation they're in in life. You throw parties to celebrate people in your life. You're fostering or you've adopted or you're an advocate for that. You are helping those who have adopted, who are, are fostering. You're offering to babysit for single moms or parents so they can go on dates. You're sending texts of encouragement and appreciation. Uh, this helps the reputation of Jesus. You, you are doing good things. And so as we look at this, the hope is that we would just continue to be encouraged to do those things. Um, and maybe if you're not, it really is just an opportunity to reflect on our lives. And just say, okay, well, what are some things that I could do differently? What, what are some areas where I need to grow? And I just want to remind you again, we've talked about this each, each week. Um, one of the myths when we think of evangelism or discipleship is that you have the responsibility to save people, right? Maybe even at some point you have heard it said, like, if you don't, then who will? If you don't do your part, then what happens with them in eternity? Have you failed someone you've come across? And I just want to let you know that that is nowhere to be found in Scripture. The only one who saves is God and God alone. It is the Spirit of God that draws people to him. But, but here's the, the truth, is we get to play a part in that. We are invited to play a part in that. 
Uh, before we look at some of these things with reputation, just listen to this scripture. It's found in Mark 4, 26 through 29. There's a Bible around you somewhere. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. Please take that. You can write in it. It, it, is, it is yours. Uh, Mark 4, 26, 29, and the page number will be up for that Bible. It says this. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. So even when Jesus was here, he was trying to make the kingdom tangible, not only in his presence and in his life, but also he was trying to verbalize what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so he would often hear these things. He was trying to compare something to the kingdom of heaven. And this is what he says. He says, a man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how all by itself the soil produces grain first the stalk then the head then the full kernel in the head as soon as the grain is ripe he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come here's what i want to point out the the man has a couple of things he gets to do he gets to scatter some seed he, he gets to throw some things out with the hopes that something might happen uh, he gets to love his neighbors. He gets to speak up when he shouldn't. We'll look at these things. He gets to do something. But when it comes to something happening, he is completely hands-off. He will water and maybe he'll tend to the soil. But have you ever planted a seed? Like there is a mystery to it. Like you, you plant it and, and sometimes things go well and sometimes they don't. My, my son, who just finished third grade uh, a, about a month ago, he brings this plant home, and when he brought it home, um, the shoot, you know, was only about this tall. And, and Cade says, hey, we're having a competition, and whoever grows the biggest cabbage wins a scholarship. Like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, what, what, what are we talking here? And so he hands me this picture, and this is not a competition at his school. This is a national competition, Right? And so before he hands me this, he says, I really hope we can grow the biggest cabbage. And then I look at the picture of the, the cabbage that, uh, <laughs> are you kidding? Teachers, I love you, but, all right, I mean, a 30-pound cabbage is what wins. And so Cade looks at me, and he's like, can we do it? And I'm like, uh, buddy, we'll try, right? We will do all that we can, but there is a mystery to it, right? We will water it, and we will put it in the sun, but we are hands off when we determine the growth of this, right? As we think about reaching people, as we, as we think about making the kingdom of God tangible to the people around us, we have a part to play, but the growth that happens in people's life, the changes that happen in someone's life, the openness and the readiness to even hear about God is not determined by you. And so often what happens is we push people, right? We push people, we force people to believe something maybe they're not quite ready to believe. We make people feel a certain way. We, going back to maybe we're judgmental or we're anti-whatever, but, but instead of just saying, look, I'm, I'm going to scatter a bunch of seeds. I'm going to do what God is inviting me to do, and then I'm just going to trust God to do the rest, right? So if that's what we're going to do, here, here's a couple of ways and a couple of things we need to pay attention to. And I've said this before, and this is really important as we think about this, and it's this idea that people aren't projects, right? People aren't projects. 
it's important that we just simply see people as people. No matter where they find themselves, no matter what they've done or how they're living or what they believe or where they're from, we, we see people, and as I said earlier, we love people because God loves people, because God has created people, and people matter. And so evangelism isn't just about getting people to the other side. It's not about us being right and proving others wrong. People are not meant to be used for our own agendas. Jesus simply wants something for people. He's not wanting something from them. And so the interactions we see that Jesus has with people, I think Jesus really, in a way, in a perfect way, sees people, hears people, loves people with no agenda. There's no agenda behind what Jesus is doing other than love other than love. And so we see this in, in the woman at the well in, in John 4. We, we see this interaction with this woman who goes to a well by herself because she has a story, right? She has a story and everyone knows the story. And she, everyone knows that, that she's been with lots of men in her life. And so she goes in the middle of the day because she doesn't want to see anyone else. She doesn't want to deal with anyone else. She doesn't want to hear the whispers or see the looks. And so she goes on her own to the well. And Jesus just happens to find her sitting at the well. And what Jesus says in the beginning is just, would you give me some water? And that there was so much meaning in just this one question, that, that Jesus sees her, that believes that she has something to even offer to him. And in this moment, this woman is maybe seen for the first time in a long time. There is this invitation that Jesus is giving to her, that there is this well of everlasting water that will not run dry, that Jesus is offering something to her. And so as other people may see her and judge her and push her away, this is exactly who Jesus wants to be with. Jesus doesn't force her. He doesn't threaten her. He just simply has this interaction with her and answers even the questions that she has. Uh, Hugh Halter says this. He says, we have to remember that how we treat people influences what they may believe about God. Not even just you, but what they believe about God. And if you look like you've got an agenda other than loving, listening, or blessing, your God will look like a conquistador instead of a compassionate king. See, when you befriend, when you're kind, when you listen to the problems of your neighbors or your coworkers, when, when you post certain things online, you have to begin to ask yourself, do I have an agenda in doing this? Am I wanting something from this? Is the only reason I'm doing this is so that hopefully they'll become a follower of Jesus. Listen to me. We hope that people experience the kingdom of heaven. But if the only agenda you have is that, I think you're missing it. See, Jesus interacted with a lot of people who never followed him. Jesus loved a lot of people who turned away from him. His agenda was to point people to the kingdom, to love them for who they were. And I believe that should be our agenda as well. He was a friend of sinners because he loved them. He wanted something better for them. He wanted them to tangibly experience the kingdom. And the way that happened 
is by him being with them. And so here, here's one of the things I want to I encourage us to do. It is, I think one of the best things we can do is to talk less and listen more. As followers of Jesus, I think one of the best things you can do, specifically with people who maybe don't believe like you or live like you or look like you, is, is just to begin to listen more. We, again, we see this in the life of Jesus, that he would really see people that he knew their past, but he would invite them into something better. I was on a mission trip with some students uh, one time. I think we were in Denver, and we were down in the city, and we were serving the needs of the community, and we had packed an extra lunch, and we were taking lunches to people. And there was a guy who came along and began to interact with me and the group and didn't ask us what we were doing, didn't make conversation. Uh, he just began to ask us those questions maybe you've heard before. If you were to die tonight, where would you go? And he goes through this kind of conversation with me. And every time I tried to respond and say, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor. He's like, no, no, do you know where you would, would go? I'm like, actually, I do. But he just wouldn't listen, right? He had an agenda that he had to get across to people without really hearing. And, and my students, it was interesting because uh, afterwards when we had these conversations, like, there's one thing to speak something. We can talk a lot about who God is. We can talk a lot about Jesus. But if we're unwilling to listen to someone, it does not matter what we have to say. We have to listen to people. We have to hear people. We have to eyes to see people and where they're at. And so can I, I just want to be honest for, for a, a few moments, and I, I, I am honest with you often. Um, but... but <laughs> I just think, I think we have reached a place with lots of hot topics where it feels like it pushes these buttons for us, right? And, and there's these things, when we hear the stories of people, because it's not our story, we often push back, right? Because it's not what we've experienced, we think certain things about people, and so in our community, you know, over the last several years, um, going back to, to Ferguson, uh, when, when the statement Black Lives Matter came out, there was this immediate pushback by a lot of people. I'm not saying from you or from Trinity, but, but just there was this immediate pushback to that. And often the response was, all lives matter. And here's just what I want to say. In that statement, what we're saying is we're unwilling to listen to your story. And I'm speaking as a white person, obviously. We are unwilling to listen to people's stories and to their real experiences. Experiences where they feel like their life doesn't matter. And so if we immediately get to this point where we want to push back when we hear that, then, then I just want to encourage you, would you just begin to listen more? Um, some of the things that I've really uh, attempted to do over the last couple of years is just to learn, just to learn, to read things written by people, females, uh, people who don't look like me or live where I live, uh, but, but just a couple things. If you're, if you're interested and willing, uh, there's a documentary called 13th. Uh, I, would, I would highly encourage you to watch that. Uh, not 13 Reasons Why, uh, 13th. Uh, One Blood is a book written by John Perkins. Um, one Blood, if you're writing these down, One Blood by John Perkins. I'm Still Here by Austin Channing Brown. 
uh, between the world and me by coats. And so if you're just willing, would you just, would you just dive into that? If that's one of those things that is maybe a struggle or you're, you're not sure how you feel about that and you have erred on the side of speaking and not listening, would, would you just listen and, and learn? Would you have conversations? Would you ask about people's stories and experiences? Just because it's not your story, talking to if you are white, if it's not your story, it doesn't mean that it's not real, right? So we, we could go down the list, and, and right now in, in the hot topic of abortion and what is happening all around our, our country, right, if, if we just immediately get to this point of just pushback and not listening, I think we're missing something. It is real people with real stories and real circumstances. And so I just think we have to do a better job of, of listening or specifically our young people who are LGBTQ. Did, did you know the, the, the rate of suicide is astronomically higher than those who are not in that category? And it's not okay. And so we have to, we have to, as followers of Jesus, we have to see people and hear people and love people and care about people. That is going to change a reputation as followers of Jesus. Or refugees, right? We could just go, we could go through the list and just, just hear stories, just hear the heart of people before we begin to speak. We have to understand that people aren't projects. People are people who are deeply and dearly loved by God. And our response as followers of Jesus is to do the same. We are scattering seeds. We are pointing to the kingdom of heaven. We are making the kingdom tangible when we listen to people and their stories. All right, number two. We have to pick some fights, all right? This is where it can get a little exciting, all right? We, we have to begin to pick some fights, we have to figure out what it is that makes God angry, what breaks the heart of God, and we have to fight for those things that God fights for. Uh, John 2, John 2, we see a situation where Jesus, we often see Jesus as just simply someone who is meek and mild, but, but listen to this in John 2 verse 12, it says this, after this he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple's area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here how dare you turn my father's house into a market? So this was one of the most important times for someone who is Jewish. There were these expectations that you would make these sacrifices. And there were groups of people who knew there was a need. And so what they would do is they would go and they would take advantage of people. They would take advantage of people specifically who were poor. And they were making a profit off of them. And this is what I love about this story. Jesus sees it and doesn't immediately respond. And this is how we know that, because he took the time to make a whip, all right? So there was this feeling that Jesus had. There was this anger, I think, in the heart of Jesus. And he says, this isn't okay. He doesn't even necessarily in that moment respond out of anger. We know Jesus doesn't sin, right? So, but he gets anger, his heart is broken, and he is broken because of the injustice that he has seen. 
And so he goes and he takes the time and he makes a whip and he comes back in and he clears the people out. He takes a table. He doesn't just get people to move away from the table. He literally takes a table and overturns it. This has furiated Jesus. And he does something about it. It doesn't remain inside him. He doesn't talk about it. This leads Jesus to action. And so this is what I believe, that we can't talk about a God who is loving, who cares about injustice, without putting into action what we believe is true about him. So if God is about injustice, and he is a just God, and we see this displayed in the life of Jesus, then I think we have to do that as well. I think we can make a difference in people's lives. We can love our neighbors. We can say that we love people. We can be kind and caring. But I think sometimes maybe it's not enough. Uh, Listen to this. Hugh Halter says this. Incarnational living, taking the flesh on and and being uh, neighborly, isn't just about being non-judgmental, non-religious, or super loving. Fleshy faith isn't just about grabbing a drink with neighbors, having friends who are gay, or mowing your neighbor's yard. Incarnation is ultimately about representing and revealing the real God to people. That is so good. Let me read that again. Incarnation is ultimately about representing and revealing, making it tangible, the real God to people. And the real God sometimes gets really ticked about what happens in his world. He is a God of love, but he is just as much a God of justice. So if you're going to follow him and be like him, you're occasionally going to need to pick a fight or fight for the things he cares about. And so what are you willing to fight for? What are you willing to fight for? What is worth your fight? Is it seeing kids without a father figure in their life? Would you mentor? I'll help you do that. Is it the lack of opportunity for people? Is it fighting for fair wages? Is it if you own a company and you get to hire? Is it trying to hire and give people a chance? Is it systems that set up, systems of injustice that we have to speak up and speak out about? Is it those who are in poverty? There's a great organization called All Among Us in Ferguson who are taking in women uh, who are housing them, who are teaching them about finances, who are doing job training. They need volunteers called All Among Us. Is it those in prison? And many of you work with our young people who are in uh, juvenile detention centers. Is it those stuck in foster care? What is it? What is it that you believe breaks the heart of God and what can you do about it? See, I think fighting for people and what is right will speak more about God than communicating just some religious concepts. Just talking theology and what we believe is important, but I think when we do what is right and speak up for people, that will speak louder. That will make the tangible Uh, the kingdom of God tangible to the people around us. Then the third thing is we have to understand that it's our love and action that changes reputation. 1 John 3, 16, 18 says this, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our life for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and see his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? 
Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Uh, on one of those same mission trips, we would go out and we would do these love and action projects. And we would go and we would do the thing that you do on mission trips. And you would meet the needs of people. Um, but we had a student at that point. Her name was Kelsey Wright then, but Kelsey Edwards. Uh, we get back, and this is what you love about teenagers. Uh, she asked the question, why are we doing that there and we're not doing it here? Why do we talk about loving people and loving our neighbors and we go somewhere else and do it? Shouldn't we be doing that here? And I think ever since uh, then, uh, our students have collected socks and underwear and have met that need in the city. See, we could say we see the need. We could talk about the issue of poverty and homelessness in our city or with action we could do something. And so here's what I want to see as we end. What's important is to see that our vertical relationship has an impact on our horizontal relationships, this right angle that, that forms. But, but not only does it have an impact on our horizontal, we can't have a vertical relationship with God without it spilling out into our horizontal relationships. And this is not just something that is a good idea. Uh, this is something that God instituted. We see this uh, in the conversations Jesus has and what he says is most important. An author and pastor, Brandon Hatmaker, uh, has a book called Barefoot Church. Uh, he says this, look at the Ten Commandments. The first four deal with our relationship with God. That is vertical. The next six deal with our horizontal relationship, uh, our relationship with people. When asked, what is the most important command? Jesus answered, love your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and your strength. That is a vertical relationship. And then he says the second is like that one. It is as important as that we would love our neighbor as we love ourselves. That is a horizontal relationship. He even correlates how you forgive others, horizontal, with how God will forgive us, vertical. He says, you say you love God, vertical, but you hate your brother or sister, vertical. He says that you are a liar. Before you take communion, one of the most uh, important things we do as followers of Jesus to the come to the table, we are all one, and we remember what God has done on our behalf. He says, before you do that, if someone has a problem with you, go and deal with it. That is the horizontal relationship. How we treat others, Jesus says. Needs, as we see people and we help people or we don't. How we treat others and see others horizontal. He says exactly is, how, is exactly how we are treating God, the vertical. See, our impact, the reputation that we can begin to form and help form and continue to form in our home, in our neighborhoods, in our community, at your workplace, is going to happen when we put what we say into action, when we live out who God is. So it will be felt, and people will begin to wonder about Jesus when what happens here on Sundays and you're encouraged, hopefully, you're challenged, you're inspired, you feel like you have been in the presence of God, something will happen Monday through Saturday when this vertical relationship spills out into our horizontal relationships. That's what we're trying to do. The Sweet Reads, we have a mobile food market. We're partnering with the St. Louis Area Food Bank. June 28th will be our first one of doing a fresh market uh, here at Trinity. We're going to need volunteers uh, for that. Uh, we're going to be looking for more mentors in the fall for our schools. 
Uh, there's a Good Neighbor Initiative. One of our young couples have taken that on, and they meet with a refugee family. We have people who have and who I know are interested in fostering or adoption, and maybe fear has kept you from taking those steps. What, what would it be for you? What would it be for you to begin to see people as people, to understand there's some fights we need to pick, and then we just begin to put our love into action. Uh, Greg's going to come up, and I'm going to read a scripture as he makes his way uh, up. Uh, Matthew 5.16, this is Jesus uh, speaking, and he gives kind of the only sermon, kind of in a collection of uh, maybe short speeches that, that Jesus gives, called the Sermon on the Mount. And this is what he's telling to this group of people, Matthew 5.16. It's what at 14 through 16. This is what he's saying about you. It says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. It is not so that Trinity gets credit. It is not so you look good. The hope is when we begin to do this, when the reputation of Christians looks more like the reputation of Jesus, people begin to recognize that. And people begin to recognize this God in heaven. And then this is what we'll be talking about next week. It creates opportunity for conversation. This will lead to conversation. This will lead to opportunity to scatter more seeds with our mouth. But the important thing is we lead by listening. We lead by seeing. We lead by doing, which hopefully will allow us to speak. Would you stand as I pray and we'll sing this last song together. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for an opportunity to, uh, to be honest, to look at who you are and what you're doing in our presence. I'm so thankful that so many people here have taken on the call of really loving our neighbors, of really caring about people who are made in your image. God, would you help us to continue to do that? Will you help us to be the kind of church that has a reputation where we look a lot like you? where we see needs in our community and we do something about it, that we fight against injustice that we see and experience, that we would listen to people and see people and not just speak about what we believe. God, would you help us? This isn't easy. Give us grace when we fail. God, will we be the kind of people who scatter a lot of seed and that there will be a harvest, that there will be a harvest of people who come and experience you and your kingdom, who they see the kingdom made tangible and visible in their lives won't be because of us, but Lord, thank you for allowing us to play a small part in it. God, we all have someone. We all have someone who we care deeply about, who we love, and we want them to know you and follow you and experience you. Would you help us to see the next steps to take with them as we just pursue love, as we love them well. We pray in Jesus' name.